Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host, and I hope that when you are listening to this, these words are just finding you right when you need to hear them. And today, it kicks off our marriage week. If you are tracking with us live in the Legacy Through Motherhood community, we are going to be talking about how to find your way back to solid ground, so to speak, after an argument or a blow up with your spouse. And let's be honest, like if your life is intertwined with another human in any kind of relationship, you are just not always going to see eye to eye. You're also not always going to have your best foot forward. And I mean, there is some comfort in this. Like when we are dating, and especially if you don't live together, you know, you're constantly on. And I don't mean being fake. I just mean there's just this built up anticipation to see each other and It's just different, and it just has a little more excitement than when you are living with someone and in close proximity to them, like day in and day out. And there is beauty in the dating period, but there is also beauty in the marriage period. And there is comfort just in, I don't know, like knowing you're loved and you're able to have those neutral, comfortable days, like you're able to settle into this comfortable way of being with somebody. And not complacent, not disengaged, just comfortable. So I've talked multiple times in my marriage episodes that it's a slow fade that ruins a lot of marriages, right? The slow fade is more dangerous in my eyes than even like, I don't know, like infidelity. And honestly, standing in the truth that everyone is responsible for taking extreme ownership for their own selves in their own decisions, I think sometimes like this slow fade could lead to someone to choose infidelity, right? And if it's not infidelity, then maybe it's this like, well, I just fell out of love with them. And if it's not that, then maybe even just falling into this weird complacency where you become roommates and not this relationship that is supposed to be set apart from all other relationships in our lives. And I think it's normal to have some ebbs and flows in marriage, obviously. I mean, it's a daggone marathon, right? No couple (laughs) could be on 24-7 for 90 years. So if you are feeling right now like things are just easy and comfortable, you know, don't freak out like, oh man, are we just roommates now? Like, what's that a good thing? Is that okay? (laughs) It's totally fine. If you're at a high right now in your marriage, you know, you don't need to wait for the other shoe to drop. Just ride that out, you know, as long as it lasts. But what I want to speak into today is not just the normal ebb and flows of marriage, but what to do when you are in like a valley, so to speak. Okay, so this is like a little bit lower than just that normal ebb and flow that every single relationship gets in. And I think it's also important to say like everyone also gets a little lower into a valley every once in a while, right? So you're not alone, like you're not abnormal, your relationship doesn't suck, your husband doesn't suck, everyone goes through it, okay? Um, so what I want to speak into though is maybe you're like in that valley for longer than it, you really should be or you're kind of feeling just stuck there. I feel like Justin and I have a great relationship. Y'all, we've been together for 15 years. So when I say great, please do not hear, always great, right? Just hear. When we add up the sum of 
I'm gonna get real cliche here, of our like hills and valleys, <laughs> isn't that a song? We're still in a great place on average at the end of the day, right? And they say marriage is hard and it takes work to have a good relationship, but what the heck does that even mean? Like for a marriage to be truly great, you have got to learn, I have got to learn how to navigate those low waters together with some grace and some understanding. Like you have got to learn how to coach yourself, coach yourself through this part of your relationship. Because here's what happens. We start to get into this lull of just these normal everyday things. And then some stressors will pop up, whether it be the work, uh, our work or kids or, you know, whatever. And we get a little bit like short with one another. And then maybe comes some like passive aggressive comments and then someone actually gets offended, you know, by a comment, whatever. And that sparks something that I don't know, maybe is like an ongoing issue in your relationship. And then maybe like a full blown fight happens, right? And, and, or maybe it's a situation where maybe there's not a full blown fight, but both people just kind of stew. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just going to like walk into a room Um, where your husband is and grab something, but you won't make eye contact and you won't even acknowledge them being in there because you're just upset (laughs) and mad. And whether there is a big blow up or this stewing happening, what we do in these moments may be some of the most important things that we can do in and for our marriage, period. And I'm going to briefly talk about five things I think through or ask myself when this happens or when we find ourselves in a low spot and it's feeling like it's been lingering maybe longer than it should. But before I go through this, let me just list a couple things. Let me just say a couple of things. Number one, never in any of what I'm about to say is in favor of pushing something important under the rug. It's never in favor of pushing something under the rug that needs to be discussed, okay? Number two, never am I talking about putting in this kind of effort after any kind of like physical, sexual, emotional abuse, okay? So I just want to like have clear parameters (laughs) as we talk about this episode, um, especially if you're new to me. Number three, I'm not really talking about... Um, so I'm be talking about some different things that I do to kind of get back on this, you know, solid ground or whatever. Um, but I'm not really talking about like after infidelity or something cr- like big like that. Though I know plenty of marriages that have worked through that situation and have come out on the other side even stronger. But I know that's not the case for everybody. So like, just understand that when I am talking about what I do, right? Like I am assuming. I'm just assuming that you have two good intentioned people, you, yourself, and your partner, who are just doing the best they can. And we all suck sometimes, right? (laughs) We all are selfish and self-centered and whatever else. So like that is kind of what I'm talking into um, with the assumption that everybody has good intentions and somebody's not being, one side's not being abused in some way, okay? Number four, I need you to understand that in all things, I personally, Stephanie Sims, so this is what is going to kind of, this is what it's going to stem from, what I'm going to tell you. I personally try to assume 100% 
ownership of where Justin and I are in our relationship. I assume absolutely everything was my fault and that it's up to me solely to fix it. Now, this is not like coming from a victim mindset, okay? (laughs) This is not me saying, oh my gosh, I'm the worst and everything that's wrong in our marriage is my fault. Like, no, this is just me leaning into the fact that marriage is not 50-50. It is 100-100. You guys have heard that, okay? So is everything my fault? No, it's not, right? Like, is Justin also like have his own issues? Of course, but by assuming all responsibility, that gives me the freedom to work on just bettering myself. Like, where did I go wrong here? Rarely is it super one-sided. It might be heavier. (laughs) Somebody might have messed up, screwed up, was meaner, right? Like, it might be heavier weighted on one person, but typically it is not like only one person. So when I just assume all responsibility, I am just saying like, okay, where, where is my responsibility in this? And I hope that he's doing the same. And it takes a while to get to this point. (laughs) Like I said, in the competition in marriage episode, Justin and I used to fight a lot because we used to compete a lot, but we've gotten better, but we're not immune, you guys, to this slow fade that I've talked about episode after episode, just like you are not immune. So taking full responsibility puts the power into my hands to become a better wife. Justin taking full responsibility for any situation that we find ourselves in, like gives the power to him to become a better husband. Like when it's, when he's relying on me to fix something, he's powerless. When I rely on him to fix something or to notice something, like I become powerless. So this is kind of the stance that we take. So I'm going to assume that Justin's going to do the same, okay? And why? Why do we live like this? Why is this the mindset or the stance that we take? Because marriage is a covenant. It is not a contract. Covenant says no matter what. And contract says, if you do this, then I will do that. Covenant is a perpetual promise to someone. And a contract says only if dot, dot, dot. So if you are in the mindset that your marriage is contractual or that it's what your marriage maybe has looked like in the past, then I invite you into this different way of covenantal thinking. And then lastly, as I'm talking through these things that I do, okay, this does not mean (laughs) that the second we hit a low spot that me or him immediately jump to taking like full responsibility, right? It could take days or even weeks of this inner battle of wanting to hold out because you were right or just do because it kind of feels good to just disengage for a second and not put energy in to trying to mend, you know, this argument or whatever. And hear me, like most marriages, most great marriages are safe here. Like most marriages can handle the times when everything just is kind of feeling off for a little bit. There's just this grace and understanding there for that other person, even when like it's not the best time in your marriage. It reminds me of that grumpy old man sitting on the park bench. It's like a picture um, of a grumpy old man sitting on a park bench, holding an umbrella over his like super grumpy wife. (laughs) And it also reminds me of the quote that says, This couple has been married for 50 years and never once had they thought about divorce. 
Murder, yes. Divorce, never. Okay. So the power and the greatness of a marriage can come when you can deal with whatever put you in this low valley. And the goal is really to just spend less and less time sitting in this valley because the more we sit in this valley, the more and more we are in a place to breed just resentment and to villainize our spouse, okay? So let's walk through these five things that I wrestle with when we find ourselves in this place of just unrest, okay? Number one, usually when we are arguing or we are on like that verge of a fight, I try to picture my husband as my son's. You guys, this has been a huge eye-opener as to what comes out of my mouth. I picture my husband as my Graham or my Noah or Wesley or my Tristan. And I picture myself as their wife. Like, how would I want my sons to be treated in their marriage? How would I want them to be spoken to? And sometimes, you know, we get mad because of something that happens and I don't know, maybe there was an accident or maybe something was said in a heated moment. And you know, like, you know, to your core that they did not mean it, but it still kind of feels good to withhold that grace because Lord knows, you know, we've never said something out of the heat of the moment we did not mean, but we tend to just kind of like hold on to that and and let our spouse feel the like badness of that, which is fine to an extent, but still. So my heart will soften when I picture my sons and their hearts and their vulnerability when looking at my husband. And it doesn't help that they all look like each other. So it just reminds me of his humanity and it reminds me of my own. Okay, so number two, I used to be just a fun little spitfire, you guys. Like I could, you know, those those arguments, Justin and I back and forth, man, you, I was so quick with comments. He was quick with comments. Like, and I'm not talking like super nice either, okay? And we both tend to enter this arena when we get super mad. But now, more often than not, I really hold on to this quote I heard once. It says, to hold your tongue until the Holy Spirit has your heart. You guys, you can't unsay something and they cannot unhear something. Usually unmeant words set out of anger can like linger in my soul for a while, even though, even though I know he didn't mean it or I know that I didn't mean it, right? Like our soul still hurts whether that comment was directed towards us or if we let something like super mean or rude like come out of us. Scripture says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And if you don't practice this, then you know how hurtful someone can be or how hurtful your words can be. And a lot of times they just come out and you're like, well, that was super mean. But then you're already like heated and in this like self-preservation mode. So you kind of keep a front as if you meant it. But Proverbs 29, 20 says, There is more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. So your quick tongue, my quick tongue, (laughs) puts us lower than even a fool. And so I just want to drive this point home. I actually looked up what a fool meant when we read it in scripture. You know, sometimes the English word doesn't quite translate 
as it does in Hebrew. So let me just list what this says about the definition of fool in Hebrew. So in scripture, fool is often used for a wicked or depraved person, one who acts contrary to sound wisdom in his moral deportment, one who follows his own inclinations, who prefers trifling and temporary pleasures to the service of God and his eternal happiness, a person who is somewhat deficient in intellect, (laughs) an idiot, or a person who acts absurdly, one who does not exercise his reason, one who pursues a course contrary to the dictates of wisdom, a weak Christian, a godly person who has much remaining sin and unbelief. Okay. (laughs) I literally read those and I was like, oh, okay. Literally, there was another definition that just said a buffoon. Okay, then. And it says here in scripture that there is more hope for a fool than there is for someone who speaks without thinking. And you guys, we feel that, don't we? Like words are so powerful. Like withhold, if you can, those just knee jerk comments when you are angry. Don't withhold the needed conversation, but there is wisdom in keeping our mouths shut, right? Like, and I, that is something I have to work on day in and day out. I am quick to speak. And usually when I can feel like a physical reaction in my body when I'm getting mad, like I know it's better if I just keep my mouth closed. And I know there are times when Justin decides to just press his lips together and chooses, you know, just to not engage in that moment. And I think this is important, just an important lesson in general, just to lead your family well both like wife and husband. It is so normal, you guys, to have um, reactions. It's normal for us to feel annoyed or angry or whatever else, but you will fly off the handle and spout every unkind word you could muster in a minute of anger. Or you will work to keep them inside and recognize they have no place in your marriage. Like if words want to come out, then they're going to need to be processed (laughs) first through the lens of your covenant with your spouse, my covenant to Justin in the Holy Spirit. And Justin and I are verbal processors. So this is way easier said than done, but we are so much better than we used to be. Number three, I ask myself, is this distance super small even worth a divorce. We may be in a minor argument and for the sake of this piece of advice, let's just say he did something to upset me. Okay. My perfect, perfect husband. Um, okay. So let's just say like he did something to upset me. So maybe I'm purposefully like in a different room than him. And what I want to have happen is for him to come in and apologize and 15 minutes go by and he does not. And usually those 15 minutes, I'm like, I'm pissed, right? But then God does what he does. And oftentimes will just begin to soften my heart. And the question will kind of download in my brain. Is this distance argument, whatever, worth a divorce? And you guys in the moment that might seem like an absurd question. You know, you just had like a small argument that maybe got blown out of proportion. But I personally am very, very hyper aware of this slow fade that happens in marriages. I would literally ask myself, 
okay, Steph, so in five years, if Justin and I were going to get a divorce, would I look back to this very moment in time that seems so pointless and insignificant, but know that this was actually the start of our fade? This was the start of our disconnection. This was the start of our lack of conversation, our lack of trust, the start of resentment. And this puts the argument that we just had into perspective because nothing is worth divorce to me. Not my ego, not winning in this very specific moment, whether I'm right or wrong, and not worth the weight of sitting here waiting for an apology either. Like usually this right here in this space is where Jesus becomes Lord for me. This is where every fiber of my being wants to stew and build resentment and hang on to what is fair in my eyes. But when Jesus is Lord of your life, he dictates how you live your life. And if I ruled my own life, good Lord, I would stay in there until I was mad enough and stormed out of my room for like round two, which happens because you know, it just, it is what it is. I'm human. (laughs) Give me a break. Um, But I have to really fight to keep myself out of that um, title of king or lord of my own life. Like full submission to Jesus's lordship and my covenant with Justin looks like walking out and me apologizing and just even having a conversation about like, you know, X, Y, or Z, like what was hurtful, you know, like, hey, this really hurt my feelings or whatever the heck, you know? And in my mind, what this looks like is stopping that crazy thought cycle of villainizing my husband and starting to turn that around and starting to affirm who he is. You know, I picture the road to divorce like a laying of a brick wall. You start with laying that first layer and you don't really notice you know, because you can still see each other on each side of the wall, right? Like you just have a small wall being built through every argument, unsettled dispute, whatever. And then the next layer gets built and you still don't really notice it, right? Because that's what, two layers of brick, what, that's like a foot off the ground. And then we get to this point where all of a sudden we start noticing this wall that has been built between us and you're like, oh crap. (laughs) And you start to like try to knock it down. Um, It's not working. You have cemented bricks (laughs) that you have built and you guys are on separate sides of this wall and it can be knocked down. Absolutely. Uh, It just becomes harder. And when something becomes harder, it means more work and not everybody is willing to knock that wall down and have the conversations it takes and be as vulnerable as it takes. And so divorce can and oftentimes will happen. So when I ask that question, like, is this distance, as small as it might be, worth a divorce? What I'm really saying is, is this worth laying a brick down? And you guys, it never is. Outside of the parameters like we talked about at the beginning, right? So when I am convicted that a situation is laying a brick between Justin and I, like, I have to knock it down before it solidifies. I don't freaking care whose fault it is. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I hope that Justin is doing the same in his own way. We're both got to be 
we both just have to be constantly like playing defense to those bricks. And, you know, sometimes he might notice that that, that we just laid a brick down. And so he has to come up and, you know, we have to have a conversation or I noticed something just laid down and he didn't see it. So it's, it's just this constant communication and playing defense and um, just working together. And number four, I am actually just going to go ahead and recommend counseling before the end. I feel like counseling gets tacked onto the end of lists as a last resort a lot of times. But really, there's so much power in counseling before you're holding on by a thread, right? Like if I felt like Justin and I could not get out of a slump we were in, I would 100% be all for counseling. Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell are very open about their weekly counseling and how amazing it is for them. And they're just like the cutest couple. They're my favorite. And I am so glad they're so transparent about their continued journey with counseling because, I mean, you guys, what is counseling? Like it's literally just an unbiased space for you to talk about your relationship and to gain tools to be better for one another. Like why have we turned into, uh, you know, why have we turned counseling just into this taboo topic? And it means our marriage is falling apart if we go to counseling, like what? <laughs> and maybe it has the reputation it has because like I said, counseling is always offered as a last resort. So counseling, absolutely. If that is something that you need, if you feel like you cannot find solid ground on your own, you can't coach yourself through this. Number five, talk to a trusted friend. We talked about this with Selena Frederick in the See Through Marriage episode. We talked about how important it is to have allies in your marriage, not adversaries. And I'm not talking like an adversary is like people that hate you. No, I'm talking about like what an adversary, adversary, sorry, in marriage would look like is someone that defaults to just agreeing with you, right? Like just agrees with you all the time, is always, you know, backing your side of the story, no matter what. And if you have a person that you know, you can vent to, and they are 100% of the time in agreement with you and quote unquote, help you by offering like a night out with some margaritas, like she might be a great friend, but she's, she may not be, she could be, but she may not be a marriage ally. She may love your marriage and love your husband and love you, but you need someone who will really listen to your story, probably your over-exaggeration, all of your emotion, your hurt, your desires, whatever, and then share what she's kind of hearing, maybe what blind spots she's seeing that you're not. She may offer to like pray over your marriage. She will encourage you to go have a conversation with your husband. And listen, sometimes we just need a night out with some margaritas, okay? So that is totally fine. But if that is always a solution, like, that's not your girl when you are doing the hard heart work of a covenantal relationship or marriage. We all need a marriage ally, and we really all need to be that for someone. Like, this is not, I mean, marriage is only between two people, obviously, but, I mean, this is not work we do alone. God created us to be in community, and so... I just like finances, I think that marriages are dying in silence, right? Like we, it's taboo to talk about marriage or um, about finances. It's taboo to talk about like, oh my gosh, my husband and I had a fight. Like, is that normal? Like everyone else seems like they're all perfect, you know? Like, no, no, it's okay. Like you, you had a fight, you had an argument, you want to punch someone, it's fine. You, well, don't punch someone, but you know what I mean? Like, yes, we all feel this. We all have real relationships that ebb and flow, 
and there's a healthy ebb and flow, right? Um, and so, so we live there. So let's not act like we don't live there. Um, because I think that just gives people hope like, oh, you get annoyed with your husband too. <laughs> oh, your husband gets annoyed with you too. Great. Okay, cool. So now we can have an honest conversation, right? So we all need people. We need to do this together. Um, and we need to be real and vulnerable. And that's hard to do. It's hard for me to do. Um, so I just, I encourage us to just, I don't know, figure out how to be better at that. Uh, I know that's something Brene Brown, you guys, I'm so late to this world of Brene Brown. Apparently she's been a hot thing for some time now. And I literally, and listen, I've had Daring Greatly on my book list for like, I don't know, three years or something. I'm just now starting to read it. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) I love all this stuff that she's talking about with shame and vulnerability and, and what true vulnerability looks like. So I encourage you, if you have not read Daring Greatly from Brene Brown and want to learn, I guess, how to be truly vulnerable and what that really looks like, I would encourage you to read that book. Okay, so let's recap really quickly of just kind of my five five pieces of advice. Um, number one, think of your husband or your partner as your child. Number two, hold your tongue until the Holy Spirit has your heart, or if you are not, um, you know, if you if you are not a Christian or not, whatever, you know, just that's just just take a second, just take a second until you you know have some control over your words. Number three, ask yourself, is this distance worth a divorce? Is this argument, whatever, worth laying down a brick? Number four, counseling, right? Let's like take that taboo off somehow. Number five, talk to a trusted friend, a trusted ally of your marriage that is not just going to tell you, you know, what you want to hear, but they're going to share with you, you know, maybe have some of those hard conversations with you. Um, Okay, so it is just important, you guys, to just be in constant pursuit of your husband or your partner for so many reasons. Like there is a reason great relationships take a lot of work. (laughs) And it's because great relationships work to be selfless. In times, selfishness feels better. It's because they choose no matter what, when it would be easier to say only if you do, you know, X. So I hope you guys that this encourages you today, wherever you are at in your relationship to just not leave it up to the other person to make your relationship good. Work through that internal battle as if your marriage depends on you. Then the times when maybe you are losing that fight with your inner self, hopefully your husband is working on himself and maybe he's winning his. And this is how we can keep knocking down bricks instead of building them higher due to our own anger and ego. This is how we find our way back to grace after conflict in our marriages. Join me in the next episode as I interview Dr. Laura Froyan. She is a peaceful parenting and respectful relationship coach. She does a lot of work with conscious and connected parenting. And we talk so much about why we parent the way we do, ways to parent kids differently, how to reparent ourselves through trauma we may have experienced as a child. We talk about how different things are passed down through generations. And specifically, we talk about addiction and trauma and how that indirectly affects, you know, the children and the grandchildren and the great, great grandchildren of 
trauma that was experienced. And there is so much just tangible information for you guys to take away in this interview. So I really hope that you tune in to listen and learn from a dear friend of mine. And I look forward to walking alongside you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.